Welcome to yet another episode of Corpses on Stage, here with the three Matsketeers. It's me, Matthew. Me, Matt. And me, Matty. And today we're very, very uh, pleased to have a, a special guest along with us. Um, the wonderful Andrew Wright has joined us today. Hello, Andy. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. It's nice to have you here. Hello, hello. It's very nice to be here. Um, I'm sure you would have come and joined us regardless of a lockdown situation or not, but I'm, I'm going to be... One small thing grateful for this situation that we've got you and you come along to join us today. So yeah. thank you very much. You are most welcome. Very happy to be here. Yes, and we would be like to um, um, spread our wings and talk to a variety of different people. And you have hopefully got some good stories for us about your journey from Amdram to the dizzy heights uh, of your career in the West End. And then back again. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. I mean, you can tell that story. <laughs> Yeah, I've kind of done a full circle, really, haven't I? I sort of started off as a kid in Astro Theatre, went on to train when I was 17, and then, you know, worked for... I, I worked for 14 years as a dancer, and then as a creative in 2006. And then, you know, Glastonbury Street asked me back about... When was Beauty in the Beast? I can't... About 10 years 2010, ago? 2010, because that was my first show with Glastonbury Street, yeah. Was it? Yeah. Well, it was a beautiful show, wasn't it? And they asked it me back, one, yeah. you know, what show do you think is right? And I said, well, Beauty and the Beast has this like beautiful heart to it and it's glorious in every way. So, but it was a huge production, wasn't it? Terrifying. Yeah, it was. Ended up being a DSM. I mean, you know, I don't know what I was thinking. That's right. You let, let you loosen the mic, didn't they? I know, but I'd never done that. I didn't, I'd never done it before. But <laughs> just for those of people who don't know, DSM is the person that cues all the lighting and the special effects in which there were a lot, weren't there in Beauty? Definitely. Um, hopefully people will know. We had Becky Higgins on here a couple of weeks ago and uh, she was explaining that sort of stuff as well. So um... Ooh, The expert. She is the expert and I'm most definitely the amateur. <laughs> yeah, I she, mean, it's, it's she one was. Time so young as well. You know, she was so just... She was, she was absolutely like the oracle, the ba you know, the, the theatre technical oracle. And she's so young. Yeah, that's right. So anyway, so I, I guess we should go back and track back to the beginning. I, I mean, our, our own podcast is primarily about Amdram, but we, we do delve into professional stuff and other areas from time to time. So it, where did you start in Amdram? It was at Strode, was it? Or was it even before that? Well, there was a lady called Joy Tinney who had this dance class once a week at the youth club at the bottom of the street. And I went to that. And um, looking back on it, I, it wasn't really dance. It was kind of a sort of social group for kids, essentially. Joy was this really brilliant lady who gave kids a bit of freedom and let us sort of create without those kind of regimented dance classes. So it was really, I, I think of it back as more of a social thing than this really like a dance class. So I did shows for her, which kind of led on to doing shows for Blasting Green Street before I left to go to London, yeah. Yes, they were always Glasgow Street, and there were Stroh Productions that did, they did like the big October musical. So I used to mm. do that and that. I mean, I didn't know, I never was in school, essentially. <laughs> I, all work really suffered for all the stuff I did on the stage. 
but um yeah that's, that's the choices you make isn't it it is but but my memory of uh seeing you talk about this stuff before you used to sort of create these sort of things at home yourself didn't you well, I think someone asked the other day, you know, when did you want to be a choreographer? From what age? And I think I probably always did. I always put on shows in the garden for neighbours. Um, in fact, Matt's Wilson's mum used to live next door to us. So she yeah. came and see, she came and saw a few of the shows, whether she wanted to or not. I didn't give people. <laughs> I've heard the stories. I've heard the stories. We would do stuff for charity. My mum would make costumes. My dad was like the DJ on the sound. And... Um, I wrote these terrible plays. If I think back, they were bloody awful. But friends and I would put them on in summer holidays and raise some money for charity. So I think I've always kind of created theatre, obviously on very different levels. This was a back garden. Well, everyone's got to start up. somewhere, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's true. Outdoor theatre is very trendy these days. I'm yes. I, th- but, I think it's fair to say that it paid off eventually, Andrew. I mean, let's be honest. Here. Look, I always had a love for what I do. And I think... Um, that's you know I, I I had that since as long as I remember real kind of focus in in wanting to work in theatre. Um, I never really kind of veered from that path until this year. <laughs> yeah, I don't, think, I don't think you're quite to blame necessarily for all that, are you? Really? But yeah, I mean it does take a certain dedication. Though, I mean, when yeah. I was a young man, I, I had an idea to perhaps go to drama school and stuff, but I don't think I quite had the solid dedication at that time to see it through. So you certainly need that next level of commitment, don't you? You do, Matt. And I think that actually, you know, looking back on the choices I made often about things like that, maybe I didn't always make the right choice, but it always did come above everything. And not, you know, rightly or wrongly, I made that decision. Um, And I think you do have to have an element of being pretty selfish in a, in that sounds an awful it's an awful word to use but in a in a kind of journey to get there because it is it is really difficult and when lots of young people come to ask for advice and i think they expect it to be a slightly easier journey than it is mm. uh, but it does take a lot of hard work like many jobs do i'm not saying that's the only job that does but uh, many jobs take a lot of hard work and sacrifice i understand but it is yeah it's a tricky one but um Someone said the other day, do you ever feel like you do a day's work? And I said, absolutely not. You know, what I do is kind of going into a room and playing, isn't it? It's not really work. I don't feel it's work. I feel it's just kind of getting paid to play around. (laughs) I think if you can get to that stage, I mean, it is work that you do. You work very hard. Absolutely. When you've come to work with us on shows, even at the amateur level, you obviously put a lot into it. And, you know, and well, you certainly make us work. I know that. (laughs) interesting though Matt I do not approach doing a show with Glastonbury Street any differently than I approach doing a show at the Palladium it's to me it's the same thing it's telling a story in the best way with that group of people and I know the processes we use uh don't differ at all I mean I was going to ask you that sort of question as we went along as we've got to that point but what do you what do you find different when you come to the amateur shows? You say you don't approach it differently, but obviously, the time you've got and the people you're working with, maybe the money yeah. is different. What what are the differences when you come back and do those well, sort of shows? The very big difference is time, because when you do a professional show, you do it in a kind of roughly five week block, and that is you know ten to six every day, six days a week. So you, you know you do this really intense bulk period, and obviously on an Amateur production, how I work when I go come back is I'll do blocks of weeks here and there, but and then go away for a few weeks or a couple of months. 
So I suppose it is uh, having it's more spread out, it's more elongated. And I suppose the pace of the room is slightly different because when it is 20 people who is their job, obviously their speed is incredibly quick, nine times out of 10, because that's what they spent all their life training to do. And I, you know, with amateur theatre, it's people's hobby and people's passion, isn't it? So I have remember that at seven o'clock, those people have done their day's work. You know, I haven't. I've been at home creating the, you know, the work for that evening or whatever. But, you know, it, I, so it's a slightly different mindset and a different speed. But apart from that, I don't think the differences are too huge, really. I mean, that, that's interesting. We, we've talked a few times on the podcast about people's approach to amateur theatre. Now, we, we feel we're quite lucky, don't we, guys? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Street, that, absolutely. That there's a pretty good ethic overall. But, yeah. you know, we, we have been places where people rock up occasionally if they want to, you mm. know, and don't quite have that sort of dedication. It's their third string hobby um, yeah. and not necessarily, you know, their first, but really it requires it, doesn't it, if you want to put that on the stage? It does. And I'd be a liar if I didn't say that I find that a bit frustrating mm-hmm. because, um, you know, it's like drilled into me to be there on time. And, you know, but I understand I, I'm understanding that other things do you know come in the way of that. But um, the Glastonbury Street have a brilliant work ethic and they have a fantastic balance, I think, of getting the work done, but also it being an enjoyable experience. And if it's not enjoyable and it is your hobby, it feels pointless doing it, really. Yes. So, yeah. I always have to tell myself that the evening, even though it has, you know, you can be hard work, it also has to be enjoyable. Absolutely. And I think, fair to say also, the last production that what we certainly did as a production with you, Andy, was, um, of course, The Adams Adams Family, Family. which was absolutely, I mean, it's fair to say that show was absolutely incredible. God knows how many awards and things we won for that. And it was, it was one of those where I remember being really because obviously i had never worked with you before andrew and um so for me it was like oh be interesting so how it all comes out and i remember actually really going bit by bit taking time and i'm thinking this isn't actually very these in really too hard this is bit by bit this is okay and then it wasn't until like tech that i watched <laughs> uh, hang what, on uh, aren't we sworn never to speak about that tech <laughs> <laughs> That when I was the most sick I can remember being a long time. But I do remember watching it back, what we had done, and being completely blown away. Because you had no idea in just these little steps, day by day, like you were saying, you were doing it in uh, elongate over time. And um, when I saw how it came together, I mean, that was one of the most incredible productions I've certainly ever been in. Either in um, whatever you're sort of faced with. I mean, you can put this into sort of life situations, not just about putting on the show. I never think about the kind of the whole thing i mean mm. I'll, I'll think about uh the, the the thought process for the whole thing and uh maybe a concept but so i think yeah it's, it's about breaking the piece down into manageable sections and then there is then there is the joy of then you know sewing it all back together and then the incredible challenging task of, of putting it on stage which obviously multiple things change because that's how it is i never get too set in a rehearsal room i never get too worried about fine detail because I know that when you put it on stage a week later or, or whatever, it will change. <laughs> so I think you can get really stuck on something in a room that inevitably will have to change. So I try and keep it relatively free, relatively free, and then put in all that detail in the tech. And, you know, as you all said, it was a really hard tech. It was hard for everybody, hard mm. for the cast, hard for the technical team. 
But then that then something magical happened. You know, I remember the dress rehearsal was not great, and you go home and you think this is going to not be. I know it's flat. It was really flat, wasn't it? It was, yeah. But I think we were worn out from that tech, to be honest. <laughs> oh, a show like The Adams Family, it, the essential ingredient, one of them essentially, is an audience, and we never had an audience. Mm-hmm. Then something, it's, you know, that magic that happens only in theatre is that like a half past seven on the first night, something happens that just clicks. It's like a focus, it's an energy. The, and then the show, the minute, within sort of five minutes of it starting, and, you, and I heard the audience laugh, I kind of thought, we're going to be okay. And yeah. it was, you know, it was... No matter how hard the process has been, if the if the product is good, it's all fine. Is you forget all that hard work, don't you? <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. Hard, there are, yeah. the, you're absolutely right. There are you know you can rehearse and rehearse and rehearse, but it's until you get that magic extra ingredient, the audience, that the thing really starts to live. I, I rem- remember in in one normal night, and then saying, "Were you folks right for the mezzanine?" Like and gesticulating towards the balcony, thinking. I hope there's a laugh. And every night there was. And um, it was, you know, it it, it was just, you, you thought, yeah, all right, okay, brilliant, I got that right. You need that with the performance to make, to give you that extra kind of like oomph. We had forgotten it was funny because, you know, mm-hmm. we'd done it so much. And, you know, obviously you don't laugh at the same things multiple times. Yeah. Um, so it was so lovely, wasn't it, to suddenly have laughter and it lifted, it did lift the show. So it was, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we experienced that a lot with Panto, obviously, when you go over time and time. Well, you do Panto as well, don't you? But time and time again, you do the same thing and you, you, you do forget the bits that are supposed to be amusing. Or you, and, uh... Well, I, I was in a Panto once with a, with a variety act called Ward Allen and Roger the Dog. This is when I was a dancer, so a long time ago. <laughs> in rehearsal, this guy, this is not great for radio or podcasts, but this guy essentially had his arm lifted, which is what the dog was on. And the arm, he just used to flip the arm down and up, and his dog's ears would flap up and down. And I remember thinking in rehearsal, thinking, this isn't funny at all. Like, what is funny about that? <laughs> and then, of course, you, you, what you realise is that kids love big visual things. And this yeah. dog had these silly long ears and this kind of droopy face. And every time he did it, the kids fell about laughing. You think, wow, something so simple and, to my mind, not remotely funny. <laughs> 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 Panto is like its own beast, isn't it? it as you all know, you, you all you'll know very well. It's it's an incredibly hard discipline, and I think people underestimate how hard it is. Oh, absolutely, we're big champions of it, and uh, we we do get frustrated when people tell us it's easy or something. And oh, it's not. Actually, hard. it's really not. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Really difficult. I mean, I'm doing one this year in Southampton, and we have four days to put it on. That is it. Four days. Oh wow. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Is that with the star, though, who's got his own or her stuff coming along that, that they've yeah. put into it? It's Joe Pasquale and Leslie Joseph, and they have done it before. I, you know, you're called the director. I don't call it, I sort of facilitate. I don't really direct a pantomime, because like you just said, they come with the show kind of done. Mm. Uh, so you, it's a weird, being a profession, doing, doing a professional pantomime is a very odd a, odd sort of uh, occasion, because you do just facilitate ideas. You don't really direct yeah, because having directed both musicals and panto in, in amateur circles, um, I find it a more difficult and demanding job to direct panto because you are putting all the original stuff on the stage more than you are than a musical, which is more prescriptive, isn't it, really? Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, the ones I've seen that you've done, Matt, you, you know, you have these brilliant detailed scripts, I mean, um, and, and very full stories. And I think a lot of the original ones often 
have very little story. They just have a series of sort of variety acts. So I think what you guys do in the Glossomer Street is you really hold on to the tradition of, you know, and it is, the story is really important and it's often yeah. uh, a child's first experience of coming to the theatre. And I think if it's, if it's not, as it should be, then you can you could lose that person for the rest of their lives. Whereas if you really engage with them, they'll come back and back and see um, more pantos and musicals and plays and, you know, see the whole world the theatre has to offer. Cops is on stage. This episode was brought to you by Little Orchard Bed and Breakfast. Mm, family owned since 1973. It's Glastonbury's longest serving bed and breakfast. And it's ideally located on the southern slopes of Glastonbury Tour with breathtaking views overlooking the Vale of Avalon. And not only that, they have award winning breakfasts, ladies and gentlemen. Ooh. Oh no, we have avocado crunch on sourdough. Amazing. We have Canadian French toast with maple syrup. <gasps> Tell me more. And of course, their vegan friendly banana pancakes. As well as continental breakfast and their fabulous full English. So visit their website, littleorchardglassbury.co.uk, for more details where you can view availability and book directly online. Cops is on stage. So last week we were talking about um, first um, shows we went to see in the West End. Yeah. Um, what was your first show in the West End? Oh, my God. Well, I can remember it. It was a show called Underneath the Arches. It was at the Prince of Wales. And my mum and dad took me and my brother up to see it. I was about seven. <laughs> my brother fell asleep, bored to death. You know, he hates theatre. He still hates theatre. Right. On the front row, and I was absolutely transfixed. I mean, completely transfixed by it. And I just thought, I want to do that. That's what I want to do. And uh, yeah, I think that was a sort of ignition for what, what for what came ahead. And it's interesting you say that as well because um, I'm sure when we asked this question yesterday, guys, when I said to you the first um, Western show I ever went to see was Beauty and the Beast, I said that oh, yesterday. Was it? Were you in it, or was it, or you were involved somehow, quite heavily in it? I was a knife, Matt. Come on, don't say. You didn't oh, sorry, you were me. a knife. Yeah, but that's why we went because you were in it, and um, my mum said, "Oh, Andrew's in it, so we got to go and watch." And I remember that was my first time ever oh, in the West End. And sorry, Matt, as I was say, it's a more amazing first show to see because it was incredible, wasn't it? It really was. It was. I remember being, like I said, absolutely transfixed. I was blown away by it, and um, I remember the end of the show, the Beast floating up into the air and then in a flash of light he turned into the prince and went back down and with that we had to sign we had to sign a contract saying everything was disney magic how everything was done was disney magic yeah absolutely <laughs> and it did it blew me away and i remember going this entire drive back home trying to work out how they did it still to this day i don't know and like i say it's disney magic but that's a perfect example that is what absorbed me into the theatre, and that's what got me involved, was Beauty and the Beast. Well, you know, obviously, your podcast is called Corpses on Stage, so there was quite a big corpse in that show. Oh, go on, detail. Oh, yeah. As you know, well, as I'm sure some of you know, Chip is the teacup and is in the trolley, in the tea, in the, in the, in the, in the tea cart. The Disney with, magic trolley. Exactly, yeah. And um, it was the second cover, Mrs. Potts' first show on, so Mrs. Potts was off and the first cover was off and the second cover was on. So second covers don't get on a huge amount. It's pretty rare. And she had just come back from a holiday. So she was very jet lagged. <laughs> <laughs> and I think she wasn't altogether quite there. I think she had like a lack of sleep. Anyway, she obviously got this big, she's, you know, she's the teapot. So she got this big spout and she was on singing Human again, one of the most beautiful songs in that too. 
And, you know, she was really overcompensating, I think, for her fatigue. And what she didn't realise, but she knocked with her spout the teacart with Chip, this little boy in it. <laughs> and this each of the Dominion was raked. And this teapot, this this cart, sorry, rolled oh. and speed as it rolled and went into the orchestra pit with this little boy. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, I mean, I say corpse. We were there was a moment horrified to it. <laughs> we, we bought, we've we've uh, killed Chip, <laughs> <laughs> and sort of just seeing the teapot and Chip's head sort of bouncing in the pit. Anyway, Chip was fine. Yeah. Um, I mean, poor poor Susie. She was absolutely horrified. Did she get <laughs> on again? Did she get another chance? <laughs> uh, quite harsh, really. But about oh, ago, this guy I was auditioning. He said, oh, you don't remember me, do you? And I said, well, no. He, and he was the boy who played Chip. And he's now like this big, strapping young man. Oh, excellent. Wow. As, as is our Chip, or Chips that we That's had right. in. Adam's family, wasn't he? That's right. Yeah, yeah. indeed. Yeah, so these, so we, we, it's nice to have seen these young people move on. It, um, so, so you're in Beauty and the Beast. What, what other sort of nice shows have you been in? <laughs> um, what have I been in? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was in Cats in London for three years, um, where I played Macavity, although they did call me, in backstage, they called me Macomedy. And I was meant to be this really scary cat, and the audience, I don't think, ever really was scared of me, particularly. But anyway, uh, so <laughs> I was in Cats. I did the uh, National Theatre production of Anything Goes at Drury Lane, and um, Mac and Mabel, and gosh, what's that? It feels so long. It feels like, a, it does feel like another life. Mm. I, did, I did eight West End shows over 14 years, and a few national tours as well. Uh, is there any show that you um, feel like you missed out on being in? Was there one you'd love to have done that you missed out on? Um, yeah, I, I really wanted to be in Witches of Eastwood. Didn't for it, and I got right down, but didn't get it, and I was gutted about that. But then, luckily, got to direct it for Glossary Street, and then last year I directed it in Sweden for Cameron. So, not directed it, I choreographed it. Sorry, in Sweden for Cameron. So, um, I kind of feel that now I'm kind of done that show. But I did, I, I did really want to be in it. Yeah. Now I just uh, you know who Cameron is, don't you, Matty? What? what? I was just saying he was awake. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I do. I literally have been listening to all of it. Yeah, absolutely. No, but, but actually, to, I was only saying that because obviously well, we don't know who's listening to the podcast. Just to make sure they know who we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things when we're talking to people, we get carried away with their chats, and sometimes we forget we've actually got people listening. But some some great stories, really. Um, but but directing and choreographing wise, um, yeah. what was your first? big break in choreography, I suppose, because not every person who's been in a Western show goes on to choreograph them. Oh, and so I remember the day I decided to stop was I auditioned for the first cast of Wicked and I was 32 and I walked into the room and I thought, you know, I don't look like these 20 year old men anymore, you know, <laughs> and I thought I've got two options. I can like work, slog my, you know, behind off mm -hmm. and try look like a 20 year old bloke or I just move on. And I think I, you know, I was, always pretty aware that I was a good dancer but you know I wasn't going to be a leading man I wasn't going to be the first cast I was always like a good dancer who understudied and I was really happy with that and I thought I, I think it's time just to sort of you know walk away and, and I had a brilliant time doing it so I went to see my agent and I said I'm going to be a choreographer and she was like okay you know give it a go but she said it's going to be really hard and from that day to get my first proper job as a choreographer was two years in which point I'd used up all my savings and was kind of back to square one. Mm. And my accountant actually called me and said, you know, you haven't earned any money. Are you okay? <laughs> like, you know, I was <laughs> earning decent 
performer. But then I made the choice to kind of basically start again. And that took two years. And I mean, that's one reason I set up this agency is that 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 sort of transition into being a creative is really difficult. And, um, it, you know, I, I felt I needed a bit more guidance. So I just kind of like I did as a as a sort of 16 year old, just kind of went to London and gave it a go. I did the same thing. I kind of went, OK, I'll give being a choreographer a go. Great. And what was that first show then, as it turned um, out? 42nd Street at Chichester. That was the, that was my sort of moment where people I felt wanted to give me a chance. I'd you know as, as opposed to kind of not giving me a chance. That was a moment when people went, oh, I think I think he could possibly do this. Cops is on stage. This episode was brought to you by Little Orchard Bed and Breakfast. Mm, family owned since 1973. It's Glastonbury's longest serving bed and breakfast. And it's ideally located on the southern slopes of Glastonbury Tor with breathtaking views overlooking the Vale of Avalon. And not only that, they have award winning breakfast, ladies and gentlemen. Ooh. Oh no, we have avocado crunch on sourdough. Amazing. We have Canadian French toast with maple syrup. <gasps> Tell me more. And of course, their vegan-friendly banana pancakes. As well as continental breakfast and their fabulous full English. So visit their website, littleorchardglassbury.co.uk for more details where you can view availability and book directly online. Cops is on stage. Guys, I'm going to hand over to you for a couple of questions. I feel as though I've been sort of hogging the uh, mic here, Ma- so so uh, I can't help but once I get going, I keep asking Well, obviously, questions. obviously we're called Corpses on Stage, and um, we deal with um, aspects of Amdram and, you know, some professional life like yourself, Andy. We would love to know what um, would be the probably the worst on-stage disaster that you've ever had. We'd love to know. Well... It's not like, you know, in scale, it's not huge. But I, my last performing job was Scrooge at the Palladium with Tommy Steele. And I, those of you who know Scrooge know that he is a ghost. And in this scene where he goes back into this sort of um, cocktail party. And I was, so we were in this party. And essentially, he was milling around us in the scene. And we're not meant to see him because he's a ghost. So it was a sherry. I had a little glass of sherry in coloured water, obviously. And so I took a big gulp of it, and someone said something behind me, which was very, very naughty, <laughs> muttered something, to which I just spat this entire glass over Tommy Steele. <laughs> wow. Next to me. And I, I, it was like, just covered him in, in this sherry, you know, flat Coke. And, you know, Tommy Steele is, you know, not a pushover. And I thought, oh my God, he is going to kill me. You know, and the audience, <laughs> Audience, it was right at the front of the stage at the Palladium. The audience saw it, and luckily, Tommy is a real pro in the fact that he just he he turned it into a laugh, you know. But my heart was racing, and I thought I'm going to be you know taken off stage and told to never come back again. Oh dear! But I, every time I see that person who told that very naughty joke behind me, <laughs> I get flashbacks. But um. Oh, I mean, you know, when I was in Cat, somebody fell off the tyre when it was going up. I mean, not funny because they almost died. But, you know, wow. live theatre that happens eight times a week, things inevitably go wrong. And that's like, that's kind of fun of theatre, isn't it? Like when you go and watch a film, you know it's going to be perfect because they've edited it for months and months or if not years. Whereas theatre is live just for that moment. And things do go wrong. I've forgotten lyrics. I've forgotten words. I've danced the wrong step. My toupee fell off and anything goes. 
I feel your pain. I feel your pain. As a fellow toupee wearer, sometimes on stage, I feel your pain. It's... I, I did a pirouette and it went flying into the dress circle. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you know, you've got to laugh. I've always been able to laugh at things like that. Yeah. Well, you have to, like you say, it's, it's why you do live theatre, really, for, for that sort of um, adrenaline of hopefully getting it right most of the time, but you've got to accept yeah. that things are going to go wrong. What I really want to know after that story is, did you actually ever have the conversation with Tommy Steele about it? Well, so so also I was resident director on the show, which made it even worse. I was behaving badly. And um, he walked past me in the wing afterwards and he, he just looked at me and went, don't do that again. <laughs> and then just walked off. And I was like, yes, yes, OK. You know, and oh, yeah, you didn't cross Tommy. Um, so um, I didn't do it again. <laughs> and I said to my friend, Never say that joke behind me ever again. <laughs> wow. So we want to know the joke there, but we won't I, go there. I say it's too rude for this. I don't, yeah. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> we're, trying to, we're trying to avoid an explicit tag on this podcast. Yeah. Um, so, so Tommy still was a hard one to work with in that respect. Give us a, who was a pretty nice, um, well-known person to work with? Oh, I, okay, definitely Harry Seacombe. So I did my first job from college with Harry Seacombe, a show called Pickwick. He was... Oh, yeah. at, Absolutely heaven, like the nicest man, generous, giving, brilliant, lovely with the public, lovely with everybody, just heaven. Yeah, definitely Harry, Harry Seacombe, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, he always well, seemed like a nice guy. Most people are nice. The majority of people are nice. And I always say the ones who are good at their job, like use Harry as an example, they've no reason to be, you yeah. know, tricky or difficult. The ones who are who are tricky are often the ones who aren't particularly that good. So I've kind of got there through a different path. Mm. So most people who are good at their job are nice people. Right, Matty, have you got any uh, questions for our guest today? I was actually going to ask a, 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 a lot more recent um, that Andrew did something really quite incredible called One Enchanted Evening. Um, that that really was when we were all just out of lockdown and everyone stuck mm. inside. Um, we did the well. I say we know Andrew did a uh, a spectacular evening called One Enchanted Evening, which I was lucky enough to be in the audience for, which was absolutely incredible. I want to ask, how was it, and how hard or easy was it to get all those performers together? to pull off an evening like that because it was just on one night and I remember speaking to some of the people backstage you said this is their first time really performing it I mean how did that yeah. come about well it came about in the fact that Boris made that announcement saying you know outdoor theatre could happen and I I messaged Liz Lyshan that second and said let's do something and you know Liz is a doer isn't she I'm sure most people oh, who listen oh, definitely yeah. um Liz and I went to see Michael Evis he went great idea but I you know not for me, as in he doesn't, you know, he just lost his festival. So we were going to kind of go and cap in hand. And then we, but he put us in touch with Glastonbury Abbey. Glastonbury Abbey kind of jumped to the idea. Um, we went in to see Mary Parker to have a cup of tea. Mary came on board as a producer. And it kind of just started from there. I put a call out on social media for local people who, the weird thing was we, we you couldn't have a person who was classified as an amateur, wasn't allowed to do it because of, you know, this crazy thing with, you know, projection and, and, and obviously um, spit going through the air. And they seem to think that a professional would know how to control that. Well, I think you can't control it. But anyway, so we had to reach out for people who were classified as professionals. Mm -hmm. um, we had loads of people. Um, and then there was an incredible huge amount of, of preparation and COVID planning. 
that took up more planning than the show really i mean yeah covid you know it's 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 affected everybody hasn't it but i just wanted to give people an evening of respite and it wasn't an evening of saying it's all over let's celebrate it was an evening of just saying aren't we lucky to get together tonight and share this moment mm. um so that that was the idea of it and um yeah it was it was a wonderful night it was a wonderful night it was incredible yeah. yeah well it was it was an evening uh, of performance and all the people we know are basically desperate to get back performing or watching stuff really and uh, that's one of the things we've been denied unfortunately i mean we all need to be safe obviously but yeah it's a, a big absence in our lives at the moment it it is isn't it and it's you know it's about sharing isn't it good theater is about sharing that experience whether that is a cast or an audience and that's what you know watching theater on an ipad or your computer is great but it's, it's not you watch not it alone same. or with your or with your partner or something but it's about sharing it with you know 500 people and hearing all those people laugh or cry so yeah we are desperate to get back but on on one enchanted evening we are planning next year another event which will include the community oh, so it wow. will okay. event that will be bigger than this year and um we've got lots of things planned but it will be a dual event with professionals and the community as well so and it'll be the, over the same bank holiday weekend. That's an exclusive. That's a corpses on stage. Right. We better publish wow. this episode wow. as soon go. as possible. Yeah. <laughs> that's, quite, that's exciting, <laughs> though. It is exciting, yeah. But, I mean, what what about um, West End and theatres around the country? I, I presume you had something going before it all got locked down. Is that still happening, or have you got to move on to something new? Is there anything you know about? Well, everything this year has been put on to ne back to next year. So I've kind of just, they've just repeated this year and next year. And, you know, I had a project in January that that's now been moved to September. So everything just keeps shifting. So I, you take a day at a time, like we all do. Mm -hmm. And when it's ready to start again, you know, I'll hopefully go back and start again. Now, one thing I was going to ask you, Andy, I mean, obviously yeah. there's a lot, of, a lot of different processes involved um, in producing theatre. Um, in recent years, I, I, well, I still enjoy a lot of it and I, I have enjoyed directing shows as much as being in them, I think. Mm. Um, but even within in that process, we talked about our tech earlier on. What, what sort of part of the process do you find most rewarding? I, I, you're not allowed to say, oh, that opening night, uh, except... No, <laughs> no, it is the tech. I love a tech because... Oh, really? in, you'll know from directing it, that, directing a piece that... I think you have in your head how it might look mm. um, and then suddenly you, you kind of get all those elements. You get the lights, you get the costumes, you get scenery and you kind of go, oh, that's really exciting. Or you kind of go, that's not how I thought it would look. And I've got to really kind of quickly rethink. But I absolutely love tech sessions. I'm, I know most people hate them, but for me, it's the best part. Having said that, I do believe a show should work in a rehearsal room with, you know, with nothing, with no set, no lighting, no costumes. So, if, if it's a good piece of theatre, it will work in that room. You shouldn't need all those extra things. They just kind of add to the evening. But I think um, for those people who haven't sort of been in the driving seat with the tech, there, there's two sides to it, isn't there? There's, the, um, there's When you're in the director's role or a technical role like that, in the tech, you're working non-stop, aren't you? You're, you're doing yeah. this, doing that, doing the other, changing this, changing that. But sometimes that means the cast or other people are sitting around doing nothing. So some people perceive tech as the most boring day ever because they're not yeah. necessarily used. And then they finally get to their moment and they say, right, cut that bit, we're going to move on. <laughs> I know, I know. It's, gosh, it is hard. You have to just, I always say, I always try to remind people that we are all there to serve the show. 
Mm. We're not there to serve ourselves and that has to be for everybody. So sometimes it might mean that you're running four hours behind because you've just teched a really difficult bit and there's Mm -hmm. like a very simple bit of dialogue that you know, actually that's fine, let's move on. And it's hard. I know it's hard and technicals are very sitting around often more tiring, isn't it? Than actually doing things and you get cold, hungry, you get a bit grumpy. I do know it's difficult. It's just, you know, you have to have just that focus of the end and end goal and and knowing that we are all there just to serve the show, whatever that show takes. But it was a fascinating one, going back to the Adams family one, that really was a fascinating tech, because for those people who don't know, most of the scenery was done with coffins, wasn't it, really? So, and and yes. you, had, you had all the ancestors lugging around coffins <laughs> to create these scenarios and tables and mirrors and, and whatever else they needed in a scene. And trees and, um, as well. I mean, I was lucky enough to, to play Gomez in that show. And never actually, lived. Did you ever move one? And I never touched a coffin part. Yeah, sit down well. I, I was about to say this. You're both very happy to say about the coffins. I was the one here actually was moving the coffins, and I can tell you, I think a, a very much unanimous thing throughout the entire cast was none of us ever wanted to see a coffin ever again. After well, that. It was one of the it was one of the weirdest experiences for me because I was on quite a lot in that show, but yet when it came to tech, it was uh, I didn't actually do that much. No, no. <laughs> Ju- Judy, who played Grandma, and I actually were. were we were kind of we 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 said Let, let's go and see what everyone is kind of talking about, and we tried to lift one up. They were really, really, really substantial and very heavy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was meant to be a sort of meant to make life easier. I'm not quite sure it did make life easier, but <laughs> there are you know there are people that are very clever who always kind of hide when I'm looking for someone to move something. I, I always kind of clock that. Uh-huh. You know, there'll always be some people who have this beautiful show and they don't have to lift or move anything. <laughs> That wasn't but, me, honestly. It wasn't me on that occasion. No, well, you were the man, man. You had a good excuse. Yeah, that was so, my excuse on that occasion. <laughs> I, I do like a set that's not... I, I don't like sets that are too literal. I've never liked that. So the thought of just making things out of um, coffins seemed quite sort of anarchic and quite fun, really. No, it's great. And, and I'm totally with you on that. I've, I've tried to do that sort of thing. But people... I think that's possibly the difference in the amateur world that I've found when you try and do so I, when um, I directed sister act I remember mm. having nuns come on from different places and, and all the nuns got upset how many doors are in this room <laughs> <laughs> just come on I, it's great it's fine can you remember on witches the when we had the three ladies houses we just had a door frame didn't we, yes, we had that's right, yeah. and I remember people saying are you not going to have any walls I yes. said because people can imagine walls they could mm. imagine a door even need a door really Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't have to. When you, as an audience member, you go into a theatre, and it's about using your imagination, and it's about working as the audience as well. So you don't have to give them everything. You don't have to literally give them a house if you're in a house. You can just give them a teapot, or I don't know anything. But I, I'm a great fan of less is more, apart yeah, no. from coffins. <laughs> <laughs> yes, more coffins. More coffins. No, no, no. <laughs> I remember because there were. I remember because each coffin had a slightly different job. They're all different sizes and things, oh. but some of them had trees in them. Oh, some of them had a mirror, mirror in them. That's right. Yes. And um, I remember you'd pick up one coffin. I remember because there was a couple scenes where I had to move coffins all in the same scene normally each person had one coffin to move in one scene i had three coffins to move and i remember picking up one moving it and going okay it's not too bad going to the next one and going okay no no, this one's there and they were all numbered weren't they so we had to make sure the right one ended in the right place when Mm -hmm. i did um i choreographed barnum we threw on what that number one brick at a time we threw we threw around all these bricks 
And when the bricks ended up, they spelt out Barnum's Museum. Of course, we had to track all those bricks from the wow. top of the end. And yeah, that was like doing a mathematical puzzle. It was, was it one of those, whose idea was this? <laughs> yeah, and stupidly, it was my idea. But some yeah. night, if, a brick, if one brick got dropped, it would, it would not spell Barnum's Museum. And Brian Connolly was playing Barnum, and he used to do a very funny little ad lib at the end about being dyslexic. Well, not really, I mean, not that dyslexia is funny. But um, he kind of covered the moment pretty well. <laughs> Coming up with those ideas, you know, we've talked about this again in Panto, you try and do these outlandish things that sometimes don't always make it to the stage. But, yeah, I mean, I remember some rehearsals. When you're not there, so, Andrew wants this. <laughs> <laughs> Does he? Andrew... Please no. I, I I believe you should leave a lot to the moment. If you've got really good people, Adam's family, we had, well, all the company were brilliant. But if you think about those, our principal lineup, I mean, you were all absolutely brilliant. So if you have brilliant people, uh, and you'd be a fool not to listen to them. So you know, like Matt, you came up with some great ideas. As did Jess. As did other Matt Fester. You know, if someone's got a good idea, I'd be an idiot not to use it. So I think you, sh I always say to people, I go into a room with about kind of 60, 70% prepared and I do allow that 30% mm. happen in the room. Oh, definitely. You have to have wiggle room, don't you? Yeah. But it, yeah. It, it leads me to think, how do you find working uh, like you do with us in amateur? Because obviously when you're working on a professional show, you're presumably there the majority of the time. But obviously with us, you come down, work with us intensively intensively mm -hmm. go away for a number yeah. of weeks uh, uh, leave it to, to us now, now I, I was once in the position of your assistant yeah. when and, you and were he, there and, uh, thank you and uh, and uh, and then you come back and it's sort of like how do you find giving up that sort of like I suppose you are well, giving up control to a point aren't you because you have to let it happen for a while I'm a horrendous control freak and I'm prepared to admit that yeah. so um you know I probably don't find it easy to relinquish control <laughs> um, so yeah I do find it quite hard and I find you know especially when I've worked on the show for a long time to leave that it's really difficult mm -hmm. I, I, I can only imagine I don't have any children but I can imagine it like you know you, you bring up a child and then they go and you feel a bit kind of like oh gosh and it feels like the same if I put you know it's not only the five weeks you put into it it's probably a year of planning before that mm -hmm. it's a lot of time and then suddenly that person, that project just leaves and you kind of do feel a bit bereft without sounding too dramatic. No, and then no, if, some I, I understand, yeah. if someone then says they don't like it, you kind of, it's like someone saying, you know, your child's ugly. You kind of go, well, hang on a minute. You know, that's not very nice. <laughs> so you get, you become quite protective. Um, I've, I'm learning to sort of worry less if someone doesn't like it. But at the beginning I found it, I took everything very personally. You know, if I got a bad review or someone on Twitter says they didn't like it, I would really, you know, take it on board. But you can't, I realise now you can't really do that. No, everyone's got an opinion, haven't they? And uh, yes. and we can't always agree with them. That's the thing. No, and, and you know, <laughs> life would be dull, wouldn't it, if we all thought the same thing. So, but um, yeah, it's uh, I, I do worry a bit less now about what people think. I think that you get that with age, don't you? I oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you kind of reach a point where you just think, oh, I don't care anymore. But, uh, <laughs> sorry, that makes me sound like a right grumpy old git, but like, but no, it's it's true. I used to I'd be the same, really bothered about, you know, if there was a, yeah. a review that wasn't quite so, you know, favourable yeah. or, or whatever. But yeah, you just kind of, 
I think I probably I, I, mean, I, I stop re- I mean we don't get loads of reviews and amateur stuff we get um, bits and pieces from adjudicators and moderators mm. and the like I, I've stopped reading them now to be honest with you yeah and people people get um do get worked up about them and I you know there was times I found myself disagreeing with too much some maybe I was wrong about some things maybe I was right about some things but Look, I, I found myself I, disagreeing so I've stopped reading them really I think it's human nature. All of us want to be kind of liked, don't we? I don't think anyone sets out to not be liked. And so I think none of us want to get a bad review or, <laughs> no. Indeed. Want to, you know, kind of just a natural thing. But, you know, you don't then take everything on board. It's one person's thoughts, isn't it? A review is that person's take on it. Um, so you just have to, I learned to kind of take, you know, you can take things from negative criticism. You know, you think actually that's a fair point. You know, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Um, you take elements, don't you? Pick you pick elements of what you listen to and what you try and let go of. But interestingly, I remember my bad reviews more than I remember my good reviews. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. I think I think what I found difficult is um, it's possibly different um, in professional to amateur. But I, I, I find the the misunderstanding of what you've done difficult when they've come to see it once and they. They've seen something differently, and yes, it is an opinion, but they've, they've misunderstood mm. something, and it's all like, well, I can't do anything about now. They've they've put that out yes. there. And yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a frustrating part, isn't it? Yes, very, very frustrating. But you know, you just got to move. Tomorrow's a new day, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's the right philosophy. Well, I, you know, I say that I probably don't listen to myself. I should <laughs> should listen. But you know, you're, you're going to have moments of success. You're going to have moments of of failure. You're going to be successful at times you know we all i had a year my 2016 was like an amazing year i had four shows on in the west end and then you have like a year where you have nothing on in the west end so you have you know, pit, pips and troughs mm-hmm. um people always say you know what was it like about getting that olivier nomination and um you know the night both nights when i had when i went for the to the awards i was home by 10 doing my ironing <laughs> like, like when you don't win you don't really feel like going out celebrating so i was i, I remember both times i thought i'm gonna go home and do my ironing um <laughs> live and i was stood in my kitchen in my dinner jacket thinking of this ironing needs to be done so you know you have successful moments you have less successful moments and you just learn to revel in i suppose both of them really well that that was successful i, I think i remember I, I messaged you because we had just been working on which of eastwick i think at the time and, yes, um, and you'd have, was it for Sing in the Rain or Forty Seconds? Singing in the Rain, it's Guys and Dolls. Those guys two dolls, shows. Yeah, and I think I messaged you saying, I "Trust you to pick the year that Matilda was on, or something oh, that, like that." Oh, that was a Singing in the Rain year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, when everything. When I went to see it, I was like, "Oh God, this is so good, <laughs> so annoying." Like yeah. the current is absolutely brilliant, and I would have given Peter Darling the award over mm. me. Quite right, he, his work is brilliant. I mean, your, yours was brilliant too, Andy. But, well, but that that was that was a, one of those times where, hey, this is a bit different. This is really different. This Matilda, isn't that's it? Right. And, and then when I was nominated for Guys and Dolls, there was a young guy called Drew McConey who it was his first big thing. He did In the Heights, and it was really different and radical. And I was like, oh god, this is so annoying. I want to pick a year when the competition's really bad. <laughs> that's what people would like. <laughs> um, but you know. Awards are they, you know, are they um, useful? Probably, they're probably useful for getting more money. <laughs> um, they're, in that, they're useful in the sense of highlighting things for people watching, aren't they? Yeah, I suppose they are. It, they are. And you know, I'd be a liar if I said I wasn't a little bit gutted because I think you know, 
it's a lovely thought that you might get that. As a kid, I used to watch Olivia Awards on TV and, you know, it, so yes, it was a, they were, they were wonderful moments, but then, you know, ups and downs, as we just said, life is full of them. Now we've often mulled these things over talking off, yeah. off mic. Um, yeah. because, um, because the amateur world tries to emulate these awards sort of things, but it's, it's a totally different setup, isn't it? Because the, the, when you go to an awards ceremony for the amateur stuff, chances are you've not even seen the other shows with the Olivier <laughs> with the Olivier awards you've probably got a good idea of all the shows you know like with the Oscars you've seen yeah. all the films you know with, with the am yeah. amateur awards someone's getting up and getting an award I, I don't know what they did I mean that's true. It, was, it was probably good but you know <laughs> yeah that's, that's a very good point Matt yeah who yeah who knows the competition but um yeah. and look awards are political um I'm sure they probably are in an amateur um, environment as well you know there's you know, who are the judges? You know, who do they know? There's all those things as well. But um, it's all it's all fun and games. <laughs> yeah. A celebration. Hopefully it's a celebration at the end of the day. That's what we... More often not. So, now, looking forward then, bucket list time. So you talked to us about you want to do Witches when we're moving on. What's a show yeah. now you would absolutely love oh. to be involved in? I am so annoyed because the show is on my bucket list was announced last week and I'm not doing it. So I'm pretty oh, no. furious. Yeah, it's a show called Anything, well, you know, Anything Goes. And they're doing yes. a big revival at the Barbican and it was the Broadway, it's the Broadway production. And I was like, oh, I am gutted because that is probably the ultimate show I'd like to do. Uh, I love Crazy For You. I, oh, I, I one of my favourites. I love Crazy For You. Isn't it brilliant? It's got a marriage of that beautiful Gershwin score and a brilliant book. It's really funny script, mm. isn't it? So um, Crazy View would be pretty high on the list. I, I am drawn to the kind of funnier musical comedy shows, really, than sort of anything too heavy and political. I mean, that's one of those things that's now by... I've never done Crazy View. I mean, I think I went to no. see it four or five times in the West End when yeah. it was on. I loved it that much. And, um, yeah, I don't know if I would have, would have been able to do the dancing, but I've definitely passed that sort of a leading man there if in amateur circles. Maybe the, the older guy gets to do that, um, that God, double, double act. Oh yeah, the Zangler. Yeah. Yes. I mean, yeah, why not? Uh, there's a horrible moment, isn't it, when you change casting brackets? It's awful. Yes. I know. <laughs> not not nice for anybody, is it? Um, yeah. So uh, yes, it's a it's a quite it's, yeah, it's not a nice moment in life. It's like when I auditioned and you know thought I don't know like these twenty year olds. It's you know it's not a nice moment. Never yeah, mind. Matt, Matty still thinks he's in the young bracket. We're, we're no, uh, no. I don't, I don't <laughs> think I've ever been in the. I don't think I've ever been in the young bracket. I've always, you know, always played, you know, someone weird or someone old. That that's that's me. <laughs> but, but Matty, don't you find there the, those parts are more fun? Oh yeah, mm. absolutely. You know, um, who wants to be leading man? It's a boring part nine times out of ten. Yeah, you're 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 absolutely right. Yeah, it, it, it's the ones you can always have a bit more fun with. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. They're they they they're more interesting, most definitely. Yeah. The, the most fun I've ever had in a role was LeFou in Beauty and the Beast. That is by far not the leading role, but that was the most fun I've ever had on stage. That's great, because I played LeFou as well with yeah. Andrew in Beauty and the Beast, yeah. You both played it. How interesting. Yeah. Where, did, yeah. where did you play? Um, I was on the tour version around Spain. Ah, okay. So, yeah, so, God, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a great part. It's a very physical part, isn't it? Very. Leaping around. And I, I I used to be very physically fit back then to do it, and I remember I remember doing it and um, watching videos, and obviously getting really slapped and pushed around by Gaston, especially in the Taverna yeah. scene. I literally get chucked up against a wall and all of this, 
and I, I remember never having a bruise on me and being like jumping back up. I think if I did that now, I'd, I'd be wrecked. God, yeah. Well, it, interestingly, their Beauty and the Beast is going out again on tour next year, and apparently they're going to sort of change some of the dynamics of oh, okay. some of the characters. So it'll be interesting to see whether LeFou is still that kind of beaten up clown, or whether he's sort of slightly more, you know, a fuller character now. I don't know. Yeah, that'd be interesting I mean, to see. Yeah, it's definitely one of the most fun. I mean, like I said, about a lot of roles, really. Quite lucky I've played quite a lot of nice roles. But definitely um, a really fun role. And you put us right paces with that blooming um, tank tank- dance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I still got sore knuckles from that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the amount of, t- amount of times we hit each other with tankards is uh, <laughs> quite amazing. <laughs> it was worth it, wasn't it? It was worth it. Oh, it was great. It was great. It was fantastic. So coming back um, home to Somerset, Glassbury Street, um, have you, you've, got, you've done three shows with us since I've been involved. I think Beauty and the Beast was your first, like you said. So Beauty and the Beast, Witches of Eastwick, and then Adam's Family. Have you got another one in the pipeline? I am doing, and I think it's public knowledge, isn't it? I'm, it, well, it, is, it is public knowledge, yeah, but, yes. you know. Um, so Follies, which is a real sort of uh, left left turn, really, if you think about those other three shows. Mm. But Mary Parker came and sort of said, you know, would you like to do another one? And I was like, yes, of course. And you know, you have to think about the company. And they mentioned a few shows, which were, I felt, they're all good shows, but not a perfect fit for Glass and Green Street. And the fact that there's, they were all very male dance heavy. <laughs> and I think that, you know, as in young, I mean, like young dancers. And, and I said, you know, we don't have a lot of young male dancers, do we, really, if we're honest? No, 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 no not for honest. No. <laughs> <laughs> You're looking so at the male they, cast right here. Right? <laughs> we are the young male dancers. <laughs> so, you know, Follies is, uh, you know, a show which is, you know, celebrates women of a certain age, you know, which I thought is a great thing. Um, it, and it's a most beautiful story. I think it's a beautiful story. It's a story about sort of reflection and about what might have been when you've reached a crossroads in your life. You know, do you go right or do you go left? And, you know, the the... What, what happened for making those decisions and, you know, perhaps regrets or perhaps thinking you did make the right decision. And I think there's just beautiful things that are relatable for everyone in life, whether you are an actor or a builder or a dentist or whatever you do. And, um, and I'm also interested in all the kind of ghosts, I suppose a bit like Adam's family. I do quite like that world of <laughs> supernatural. So the thought of these women sort of haunting the space that their younger selves, mm. I think it'd be really interesting in, in the, in hopefully Strode Theatre, hopefully. Hope, well, it's, yeah, it's all a, a hope in lots of different ways. Indeed. Isn't it? Yeah. Even COVID or not, that things are changing yeah. in theatres and on a local. That's right. And, and the other thing with Follies is it will be an enormous challenge. And I think, you know, yes, I could come back and do Anything Goes, which would be great fun and, you know, relatively straightforward. But I think it's good to, for all of us to challenge ourselves. Follies is incredibly difficult musically. And if we get it right, it will be absolutely thrilling. Mm. And I think I think the society can do it. Otherwise, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have sort of come up with a harebrained idea. Possibly a slightly lesser known show, would you say? Definitely, definitely lesser known, and um, not really a musical comedy. So a real sort of departure from what I normally feel a kind of an, an attraction to. But I I've always loved Follies. I was in it in London. I choreographed it at the Albert Hall, which Craig Revel Hall had directed. With Ruthie Henshaw was in it, who's in the jungle now. Right. And, uh, Ruthie, um, Ruthie Henshaw's mum taught me at A level. Oh, oh, did she? <laughs> oh, she right. Did, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ruthie was Sally and was fantastic. And I, I just think it's a beautiful show. I think it's a beautiful show with like really 
interesting topics that come out of it uh, about regret and you know, things we just talked about, but 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 um, linked with this most beautiful music by Stephen Sondheim. Yeah, I was going to say it's Sondheim, um, isn't it? Because it's got um, uh, oh, um, losing my mind, isn't it? From from that. Which Ruthie sung in uh, while I did the Elba Hall and um, did a brilliant oh, job. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful, a lovely song. Beautiful songs, yeah, yeah. So hopefully that will happen, and that'll be lucky number four. <laughs> Is there such a thing as lucky number four? I don't know. Um, you know. I've not heard of it. You can, you can. <laughs> no, I've not. Heard. It's yeah. a new thing. <laughs> Started by ourselves. Another corpse is exclusive. My God, we need a third one. What's the third? We need... We've had two. Well, they're all coming from you. I mean, I don't think we've got any exclusives in the pipeline. Or so. <laughs> uh, I need to think. I'll get back to you on that one. Okay. okay. If you could tell my current job, we could talk about my current job. If oh, you yes, we, we haven't even moved there yet. So, yeah, so what are you currently up to? Obviously, you've been working on this in, in lockdown. You, you mentioned it briefly. Oh, your current job as in not your agency, the other current job. Yeah, my, yeah, the, you know, Morrison's. Go on, go for, yeah, go for Morrison's. That, that's like that's the biggest exclusive of, of them all. Check out team leader Matthew Maisie. <laughs> Back, I, tell, I day, tell you what, I think that news has gone around Glastonbury Street like wildfire. I don't think that's an exclusive. <laughs> Did you know Andrew's in Morrison's? <laughs> Why the hell is he in Morrison's? Um, so the other day, the lady who works on the kiosk came up to me and she said, this really weird thing happened. And I said, okay, what? So these two people came up to me and said, is that really Andrew Ryan pointed at me? <laughs> And this girl went, oh, I think that's his name. Like, she doesn't know my name. And they were both dancers from London. And, and then they were like, what's he doing here? <laughs> <laughs> Earning money. Earning yeah, abs right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, why, fair play. Yeah, why shouldn't anybody be doing it, you know? I absolutely love it. It's great fun. And um, it feels like, you know, you walk through the door of the shop, you're kind of on a stage. It's dealing with people like you deal with actors. It's sort of people management. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. A, but apart from that, the agency, yes, as well. Yes. Do you want to say anything about that? Um, you did mention it earlier about setting it up. Yeah, it's. Um, I'm representing eleven kind of new choreographers, so it is about getting getting them the right introductions, getting them seen for the right jobs. I suppose you know. I sort of after fourteen years changed to be a choreographer, then I went to be a director. I suppose it's like another step. And also thinking that when I'm sort of 16, 70, I could probably sit behind my desk with no teeth and just sort of do that job. <laughs> Not have to leap around this dance studio. So uh, I suppose it's a, an eye to the future as well. Yeah, definitely. It's sensible to, to think ahead of those things. Because, of course, we've talked about dancing and choreography a lot, but you have obviously directed um, yeah. one or two things, haven't you? Because you did Happy Days, didn't you? Oh. Odd. I mean, really, do we have to talk about that? We don't. We don't have to talk about it. It's just <laughs> what came to mind. I mean, you can steer the conversation away from it if you like. Well, oh, I mean, you know, talk about the most ironic title of a show. I don't think there was one happy. <laughs> no. Um, yes, I have. <laughs> I'm directing two shows next year at Kilworth, Half a Sixpence and Carousel. So they'll be both. They'll, they'll be. They'll, they'll be a joyful thing. Half a Sixpence just makes me th think of uh, Tommy Steele again. We get back round to Tommy. Back to Tommy. Full circle again. Yeah. <laughs> so it was half a six months old, what was that on Carousel? And Carousel, yes. Yeah. Now that's doing... sort of, um, how is that, is that perceived? I was going to say, because last, that's the topic of that show is a little it's a bit, um, it's a yeah. tricky one nowadays, isn't it? It's very difficult. And I think, I, what do you mean, you're talking about like the character of Billy and how he treats yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very, very difficult. And um, I'm trying to not, not excuse it at all. I'm trying to understand why he became that person. I suppose that's my big thought. And for the audience to understand that, 
Um, so in the overture, this is an exclusive because no one knows this. In the overture, which is normally um, the story of sort of Julie going from the mill to uh, the fair and meeting Billy, we're going to show Billy as a child and right. see he turned into the man that he turned into. So we're going to make it quite a sort of distorted overture and seeing him be himself being mistreated by his father. And therefore he takes that terrible thought, this is what men do, onto his life. Mm. And so I think as an audience, we then understand, we don't agree with it at no, I was all. I say it's difficult because you, you still got to not excuse it. Yeah. We're not, but understand it. Yeah. Understand, and I think understanding how he became the person that he did, and I think that's really important. And I'm not for one minute saying the audience going to go, "Oh yeah, that's fine," mm. but it's you kind of go, "I understand. I kind of understand why he did that, and we must all sort of learn from that." And actually, I think he desperately, you know, wanted to be there to teach his daughter to not, you know, that's not how men treat women. You know, I don't think he did it and felt that was good. He 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 lashed out through temper and rage. And, um, you know, he, I think he, hate, he hates himself for it, doesn't he? But he still did it. So I think there's very difficult subject matter in that, yeah. Um, and we will be facing it head on because you have to face it head on. But it's very much not the twee version of Carousel, the one we're gonna do. Um, we're, we're, we're setting it somewhere quite different. We're doing a quite a new take on it. That's what we look forward mm. to. Excellent. And that's due, That's going ish um uh when is it due may i think it's may and then on to half a sixpence which will be a version of the london one not exactly the same but um yeah the kind of based on the london one now this is a really nice long and very interesting conversation and um yeah. we're using zoom and everyone's acquainted with that and we're, we're com coming close to using up our second session of zoom here so. <laughs> we are this may this may end up being a two-parter. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. Oh, right, double bill. How exciting! Yeah, yeah we have to pay you double. What's double nothing? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Very expensive rates. Time and a half in the evening, man. As well. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, come on. <laughs> so, um, if we know you played a, an animal in Cats. Um, did you? Yes. Did you? Did you play any animals as a child? Oh God! Did I play? Well, you mean on stage? On stage, yeah. Yeah, like I my God. Like in a school nativity or something. I was Mowgli in the Jungle Book. I know he wasn't an animal. Um, did I play an animal? That is, a, I don't know. You stumped me. I don't think I ever did play an animal. No. Oh, no, I didn't. No, no, I no, I didn't play an animal. I, I feel was... I've let. Well, no, you haven't let us down. It's just interesting to see where people have come from. Their inspiration growing up. <laughs> oh, well, well, I did play the back end of a camel when I go. was NYMT uh, National Youth Music Theatre, Edinburgh Festival, Joseph. Jude Law would play Joseph as a 16-year-old, and I was the back end of the camel. Wow. So I think, and I had to drop brown bean bags on certain counts because the camel had diarrhea. This is true. <laughs> and, uh, and that was my moment of going, why is Jude Law Joseph okay? Because he's very handsome and has a great voice, and I'm the back end of the camel. And that was my moment of accepting that my path was going to be a slightly different one to Jude Law's path. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard Jude Law sing. Is he a good no, singer, is he? Oh, God, he has a great voice. Oh. I can't believe he's never done a musical or a musical film. Really good voice, yeah, very good. Oh. Well, you got Russell Crowe for that sort of thing, so... Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Moving on. <laughs> Hello, Russell, if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And of course, the other one is you, you did give us a disaster stage of someone else, but have you ever corpsed on stage? You gave spitting into Tommy Steele's face, someone else yeah. knocking chip into an orchestra pit. But you, have you ever lost it on stage? Oh yes, or anything goes. I did the one at the national. I got, I came on. There's like the two couple at the beginning. The um, sorry, the couple at the beginning when he, she's going, he's going on the boat, and then she's, they're sort of saying goodbye to each other. I remember walking down onto the stage, thinking, I don't know what the line is, and I just, you know, came out with gobbledygook, and then just like roared with laughter. No, I laughed. I was a terrible corpser, and <laughs> I'm real, you know, contradiction because I don't like it when people corpse in my show. So. <laughs> I, yeah, um, no, I was a very bad giggler on stage. Well, no, I'm the same as well. We've talked about this a few times. I mean, I would be the guy telling you that joke to make you spit. Yeah, that's what yeah. on his face. I, but, and I would, you know, would when I'm directing, it's sort of like, mm, don't do that. <laughs> I yeah. know. It, yeah, we do have those kind of, yeah, those two worlds, don't we? Of don't do it, but do do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. So, guys, have you got anything else you want to add or ask before we wrap this up today? I thought I've got everything I could ever need to know here. No, I, I absolutely. I was I was not going to admit to uh, my corpse during um, Adam's family <laughs> at the start of um, <clears throat> at the start of uh, the moon and me with my dialogue that's underscored where I choked on the smoke and then couldn't get and then said the first line about three times and then coughed again and then the song started and it's like oh i've got to sing now oh that was hideous I, I'm, 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 I'm i'm i've gone maroon just even at the thought of it and it was 18 months ago <laughs> i'm sure you're forgiven yes i mean it's always difficult to admit these things but 18 months on we can get away with it can't we andy we can definitely get away with it. Yeah, and that's the live theatre, isn't it? I think I've, I think I've just about got over it. <laughs> <laughs> so I would never forget now you told me, Matty. Oh dear, oh dear. Well, on that note, on Matty's shame and embarrassment, we're going to end the podcast today. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, Andy. Thank you once again for joining us today. Thank you for asking me. No worries, no worries. Thank well. you very right. much, Andy. Yeah, we thanks, really Andy. appreciate it. Good luck with your podcast. Oh, yeah, well, you share it. Give it to Tommy. Um, give it to, <laughs> to Jude. Uh, let Ruthie know. Yeah, I'll, I'll text them all. Don't worry, it's all good. <laughs> oh, and Cameron as well. Cameron as well. If you, if you could, uh, got it, got it. Got it. <laughs> no, it's been fabulous. Thank you very much. So um, we'll say goodbye now. So I've been Matthew. I've been Matt. I've been Matty. I've been Andrew. Slash That's Andy. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank right. you, Andrew. See you later, everyone. All right. Thank Thank you. Bye. Cops and Sunday. Cops is on stage. You must make me laugh because there'll be cops is on stage. Cops is on stage. Cops is on stage. You should make me laugh because there'll be cops is on stage. Exit pursued by a bear.